Today, I'd like to continue with our discussion from last night, in which we were speaking about uh, how from the two truths you get the four truths, and from the four truths you get the three refuges, which, although it sounds very technical, nevertheless, it actually is a very practical type of approach. If we are aiming for a spiritual goal, there are two ways of uh, working toward that. One is uh, to just have faith that it is possible to achieve that goal, and on the basis of that faith, then you work toward it. And as you proceed further and further, then uh, through your training, you eventually become convinced that it is possible to achieve that goal. In other words, as you, if the goal is to overcome and eliminate your suffering so that you never suffer again, then as you, uh, and if you have faith that it actually is possible to achieve that, then as you work toward it, if your suffering gets less and less and less, then you become convinced that, well, maybe it actually is possible to achieve that goal. And as part of your progress toward that goal, you study more, you learn more, you meditate more, and uh, through that you become convinced logically as well that that goal is attainable. Second way is to first become convinced through logic and reason that the goal is attainable, and then you work toward it. Uh, these are the two approaches that are usually discussed in terms of the two methods of developing bodhicitta, if we want to put it into the classical Buddhist formula. Right? First, you uh, develop relative bodhicitta, which is aiming for your own future enlightenment that hasn't happened yet, but can happen. And you want to do that to benefit everyone. So you have faith that it's possible to attain because you realize that the only way that you're really going to be able to help everybody is if you attain this state in which you understand fully cause and effect and how to help everybody. And then as you progress further and further, you develop what's called deepest bodhicitta, which is the understanding of voidness, which we were discussing yesterday, to put it in a very simple word, that things don't exist in impossible ways, so you understand reality. And when you understand reality, you understand that it is possible to see reality, that uh, the nature of the mind is capable of not projecting fantasy, but just uh, perceiving reality itself. So that goal is attainable. You understand it logically. But the other approach that we can have is first to develop that understanding of reality, which means we understand that enlightenment is possible, so deepest bodhicitta first, and then on that basis you are convinced that you uh, can attain enlightenment and then you work toward it. And the, uh, we find the second approach in one of the uh, texts by Nagarjuna, great Indian master, called the Commentary on Bodhicitta. And this uh, second approach, where uh, we become convinced logically that it is possible to achieve enlightenment, uh, first is uh, 
paraphrase with this uh, verse that we're discussing from the two truths, the four truths, and the four truths, the three refuges. So the whole purpose of this is to uh, help us to understand that liberation from suffering so that it never recurs and enlightenment so that uh, we understand absolutely everything that that actually is possible. It's based on reality. And when we are convinced that it actually is possible and that moreover that I'm capable of achieving that, not just Buddha Shakyamuni was able to do it, then it gives us a a great deal of uh, strength and stability in our spiritual practice. So, although it's not terribly easy to understand, nobody ever said that it was easy. So, in our short time together, that's uh, what we're trying to begin, to begin the process of uh, thinking about, trying to uh, figure out and uh, gain some conviction that liberation and enlightenment actually is possible. So, yesterday we discussed this first line by knowing the meaning of the two truths, the foundation, the way in which all things abide. So the foundation in which this whole discussion rests is the presentation of the two truths, which are the two truths about how everything exists, how everything functions, the way in which all things abide is the way it's said in the text. And these two truths about everything are both equally true, first uh, truth about things in this context of our discussion here is that things arise dependent on causes and conditions and of course we can go further that things uh, are dependent on their parts things are dependent on uh, what the concepts for them refer to there are many different levels of what things depend on But in this context, the main point is uh, cause and effect. And cause and effect is not just a physical sense, but also in terms of uh, an experiential sense. Particularly in terms of our experience of happiness and unhappiness in relation to the compulsiveness of karma. And the deepest truth about things is that although things might not appear like that to us because of our projections, those deceptive appearances from possible ways of existing do not correspond to reality. So there's something totally absent, that's voidness is the term for it, which is an actual corresponding referent to the uh, garbage that our minds project. So these are two facts about everything. Everything that happens, everything that we experience in our life. It's coming from causes and conditions and does not exist in any sort of impossible way which would be like isolated just by itself without any causes or conditions. So it's on the basis of reality that uh, Buddha then was able to understand what he formulated in terms of the four truths. So that's the second line. We become certain about how through the four truths we keep entering but also can reverse our uncontrollably recurring rebirth. Now, four truths are, uh, as explained yesterday, they're called usually the four noble truths. These are seen by as being true by highly realized beings, which is an interesting point. It means that it's not just Buddha 
who uh, sees these uh, as being facts and being true, but those who have reached a certain stage before Buddhahood, quite a long ways before Buddhahood, actually, that they, you know, once they have, that when they reach this uh, stage, that uh, they're able to see that uh, these four facts are true. And at what stage does this occur? This occurs when you have non-conceptual cognition of voidness, of reality. So it's totally accurate, totally decisive, this understanding of uh, or perception of voidness. And it's non-conceptual, which means that uh, you're not perceiving it through a category, category voidness. When we think through a category, the, uh, like the category dog, when you think of a dog, you have something that represents a dog. And, and for everybody, that can be slightly different, what represents a dog, when you think of a dog. So when you see a dog on the street or in your home, you perceive it through this category and through this uh, image that you might have of what a dog is. And you sort of fit it together. When you perceive something non-conceptually, it's without all this, you know, category and something that uh, represents it. It's just straightforward. Technical term is that it's bare. It's uh, naked in a sense of these other things. So it's much more. You perceive it and you know what it is without having to fit it into the box. Voidness. These categories are like boxes that you fit everything into when you perceive things, and things don't exist in boxes, is the point. So these beings, these highly realized beings, the Sanskrit word is aryas, they perceive reality without putting it into a box of, you know, reality, now I'm seeing reality. They know what they they understand fully, accurately and decisively what they're perceiving. They perceive reality, but they do that without fitting it into this box, reality or voidness. That's what it means in simple language. That's not so easy, even though we might not uh, verbalize the box that we put things into. That's uh, the usual way in which we perceive everything, as we put it into boxes, as if things existed in boxes by themselves, separate from everything else. It's own box. And uh, anyway, there's no need in uh, our present context to explain this further about conceptual uh, cognition. The point being that you don't have to be a Buddha to be able to perceive reality in this way. And when we can perceive reality in this way, then we can perceive what's called the Four Truths, the Four Noble Truths, as being true. We're accurate about it, we're certain about it, and we see that non-conceptually. So, what are these four truths? First one is uh, suffering, second one is the cause of suffering, third one is the stopping of suffering and its causes, and the fourth is the path, meaning the understanding that acts as a path that will lead to this and result from it. And they are called truths, true suffering, true cause, etc. And this entire discussion is within the context of rebirth, which means beginningless uh, and endless 
mental, individual mental continuums. And we discussed that just a little bit uh, last night, and there really isn't time to go further into that. But this is also foundation here. It has to do with cause and effect. Right? Remember, we discussed about the moment-to-moment individual experiencing of things, if it's operating in terms of cause and effect from moment to moment, then it can't have an absolute beginning in which it starts from nothing. So cause and effect doesn't operate how it starts, and it uh, doesn't have an effect the last minute, so it turns into a nothing. So that's impossible. So from just the basic truth of cause and effect, you have to conclude that the uh, mental continuum Individual mental continuums have no beginning or no end, so therefore, rebirth. So, what is true uh, suffering? Three aspects to it. There is our usual unhappiness, that's uh, called the suffering of suffering. Right? <laughs> unhappiness, it's interesting, it's uh, not necessarily the same as pain. You know, we talk about uh, happiness and unhappiness, and we talk about pleasure and pain. Those are two different things. Pleasure and pain are physical sensations, whereas happiness and unhappiness are states of mind. So there's some people that experience pain and are happy that they're experiencing pain, and some people are experiencing pleasure and they're very unhappy about it. So uh, these are two different variables. So, talking about unhappiness, that, and we all know what that's like, uh, and uh, that's described in terms of uh, worst types of uh, rebirth, filled with all sorts of suffering and terrible unhappiness. Then there is uh, the second type of uh, suffering, it is called the suffering of change, and it's referring to our ordinary happiness. And what's the problem with our ordinary happiness is that it never lasts. It uh, never satisfies. We always want more. And if we have too much of it, then we get annoyed and it turns into unhappiness. Like uh, eating too much of your favorite food at one time makes you sick and you don't want to eat anymore, so you're unhappy about it. So, this is uh, a problem. This is uh, not satisfactory, not stable. And what happens is that uh, in our ordinary life, it goes up and down. So sometimes we're feeling happy, sometimes unhappy. And it goes up and down, and there's no security, because uh, regardless of what is going on around us, you never know how you're going to feel in the next moment. All of a sudden, you might feel unhappy, you might feel bored, you might feel uh, happy. For just goes up and down, up and down, all the time. So, the third level of uh, suffering, the third type of suffering, is called the all-pervasive suffering. And it's the basis for our experiencing the up and down of, happy, or ha- of unhappiness and ordinary happiness. And the basis for that is our uncontrollably recurring existence, or rebirth. That's the, in Sanskrit the word samsara. We keep on uh, being reborn over and over again with a type of body, a type of mind that's going to be the basis for experiencing the up and downs of ordinary happiness and unhappiness. 
No, this is the true suffering, the true problems. That's the, the main suffering that one would see if you see reality. Now, if you see reality, this is the situation that uh, we experience the up and down, up and down, and there's a basis for it continuing, and it just goes on and on and on. This is reality that one sees. It's true. Then when we see this, then because we understand reality, we understand that this has to happen because of a cause. Remember, main point of relative truth is that all these things arise from a cause. So what is the true cause of this? What is the true cause for, as it says in the verse, that we keep entering our uncontrollably recurring rebirth? In other words, why? how does it happen? What is the cause for perpetuating this uh, repeating cycle? So, what did we see in our discussion last night? We saw that we can understand if we are experiencing unhappiness, it's the result of destructive behavior. If we're experiencing ordinary happiness, it's a result of constructive behavior. But we have to add here translation of the word karma, which I'm translating these days as compulsive. So it is compulsive, destructive behavior, or compulsive, constructive behavior. We're not talking about the constructive behavior of what a Buddha does. We're talking about compulsive, constructive behavior. You know, somebody who is compulsively doing good, which is based on a big ego trip. Compulsively having to be perfect and do everything right. It can be quite neurotic. So, if we are acting in a compulsive way, as we saw a little bit uh, last night, this is uh, because of being under the influence of disturbing emotions. We discussed that in terms of compulsive destructive behavior. So out of uh, anger we might kill somebody, out of uh, greed we might steal something, out of naivety we might think that the way that we act has no consequence. We're not going to get caught. doesn't matter. Right? If I steal, it'll be fun. You know, this sort of naive type of uh, attitude. So, what is uh, behind this type of uh, compulsive, destructive behavior is unawareness. Unawareness is often translated as ignorance. So, what are we unaware of? What we're unaware of, the first level of it, is that we're unaware of cause and effect. So we, you know, if you really understood and were fully convinced, understand means accurate and fully convinced of cause and effect, then you wouldn't act destructively because you would know that if I act destructively, ultimately I'm going to suffer from that. I'm going to feel unhappy. I'm going to experience unhappiness. We're not talking about punishment. We're just talking about what is the cause for why we feel unhappy a lot of the time. So either we don't know, when we talk about unawareness, there's two types. Either we just don't know that acting in a destructive way is going to uh, bring ultimately unhappiness to us. Or the other way is that we think in the opposite way. We think that if I act destructively, it's going to bring me happiness. If I steal, it's going to make me happy. If I kill my enemy, it's going to make me happy. 
And even though immediately after acting destructively, we might feel happy. You know, ah, as the example, I killed that mosquito and now we're really happy that uh, we got rid of this. Nevertheless, if we talk in terms of long-term consequences, that no matter what's going on, sometimes we feel unhappy, this is because of this destructive behavior, and that comes from this unawareness of cause and effect of yeah. relative truth. Now, I won't pretend that that's easy to understand. What I just said in uh, a few sentences, that's not. Yeah. It is. Obviously, only when you've reached this very high level are you fully convinced of that and understand it uh, fully. But it's something that one needs to work with. But deepest cause is that I haven't understood cause and effect. That I feel unhappy because I haven't understood what the cause of uh, unhappiness is. Which is this destructive behavior which means to act under the influence of disturbing emotions. In other words, because, to use a Western way of saying it, my mind is filled with anger and greed and naivety and jealousy and arrogance and all these things, and that leads me to act compulsively, on the basis of that, I'm going to feel unhappy a lot of the time. Uh, to put it in a very simple way, I mean, that's the connection that we need to make. And in terms of the happiness that we perceive, that we experience, this uh, comes from an unawareness of the deepest truth of things. Actually, to be more accurate, we need to say that unawareness of the deepest truth underlies both constructive and destructive uh, behavior. So for destructive you have both unawareness of deepest truth and relative truth, and for constructive compulsive behavior you just have unawareness of deepest truth. So I'll explain that. So we spoke about this also a little bit yesterday when we spoke about the although it might appear from this voice going on uh, in our heads that there's a little me sitting inside that's the uh, subject you know the one that is worried all the time and uh, what should I do etc always wants to get its own way that that is not corresponding to reality there is no such thing we exist but we don't exist like a little figure in our head when we are unaware of that unaware of how we exist, or unaware of deepest reality, then we identify with this uh, projection of fantasy, of this little me inside. And because it doesn't correspond to reality, we feel insecure about it. So, being insecure, then try to make ourselves secure, and of course it can never succeed. You never feel secure, you always feel insecure no matter what you do. And one mechanism is these disturbing emotions. So we feel that if I can just get something to me that's going to make me secure, so we have greed and attachment and lust, or if I can just get it away from me, I'll feel secure. So that's anger, repulsion, or naivety. If I just pretend that whatever's threatening me doesn't exist, and I am in a state of denial, that that'll make me secure. On that basis, then, 
we have destructive behavior. You act on the basis of anger. So you kill, you yell, you hurt others, or greed, or you steal, or you uh, engage in inappropriate sexual behavior that hurts somebody, or a naivety about the fact that you have feelings and that you will be hurt by what I say. And so I can say all sorts of cruel words to you, and so what? That's destructive uh, behavior, both naivety about deepest truth, how we exist, and then the naivety about cause and effect in terms of acting destructively. And in terms of constructive behavior, although we might not act on the basis of uh, disturbing emotions, nevertheless, there is still this naivety underlying it about, uh, or confusion, or unawareness about how we exist. So we try to prove or establish or that we exist by being perfect, by being good, by always uh, being the good mother or something like that. This will make this uh, sense of a solid me feel secure. And of course it never succeeds. Yeah, uh, never feels secure. Well, because we're doing something constructive, like helping others, helping our children, and so on, okay, you'll feel a little bit of happiness, but it's ordinary happiness. It's not going to last, it's never going to satisfy, and uh, so on, because it's based on this uh, unawareness of how we exist, deepest level. Third note, the third type of suffering, what's the cause of that, of the continuing basis for experiencing the up and down of unhappiness and ordinary happiness? Here we have a very complicated scheme called the 12 links of dependent arising. I will not explain all of that to you since we don't have time, but just explain a little bit the relevant uh, points to our discussion. Okay, now terms of karma, to put it quite simply. Karma, you remember, is uh, referring to compulsiveness. On the basis of compulsion, we act in a certain way. It could be destructive or constructive. Compulsion, what does that mean? Compulsion has the uh, connotation that you don't really have control over it. You just compulsively, you know, that somebody compulsively taps their fingers or like that. And that is arising, I should have said uh, first, from you feel like doing something. I feel like yelling at you, or I feel like uh, giving you a big hug. The Tibetan word for it is just, you know, I want to do it, I wish to do that. Uh, I like to do that. It has these meanings. And then this factor of compulsion comes in and then you do it. And then, to simplify it, that uh, builds up a certain tendency to uh, repeat that action and the tendency to experience unhappiness if it was a a destructive action or happiness if it was a constructive action. Ordinary uh, happiness. And then this tendency is going to be activated at some point by certain conditions and then it ripens and so we feel happy or we feel unhappy or we I would like to yell again at you or I would like to give you a hug and so this is a a perpetuating scheme goes on and on and on because uh, we are constantly experiencing this 
wish to uh, continue this type of behavior if we talk on that level so that type of patterns of behavior repeat and repeat and repeat and we're always experiencing this up and down of happiness and unhappiness now the interesting question the relevant question is how do these tendencies get activated to produce the result you feel like uh, repeating the behavior so what's explained very elegantly with the 12 links although it's extremely complex is that we're experiencing happiness and unhappiness this up and down it doesn't have to be dramatic or anything even when we're asleep it's sort of uh, maybe an in-between state but sometimes you don't sleep very well and you're not really very happy in any case we're experiencing this and how do we experience it what is our state of mind while we are experiencing unhappiness and happiness we have the uh, Sanskrit word for it is uh, thirst it's usually translated as craving but the actual word that's used in Sanskrit means thirst so when we are experiencing uh, unhappiness then you know she's just dying of thirst you know, to get rid of it like uh. you want to get rid of being thirsty and when we're experiencing happiness then we don't want to be separated from it and uh, we want more it's like uh, when you have when you're really thirsty and you take the first sip that's not enough is it you don't want to be parted from that you want more and then what kicks in what uh, comes in is this grasping for uh, a solid me I have to get rid of this uh, unhappiness I have to not be rid of this happiness this is what activates these uh, karmic tendencies this state of mind okay now this is then the uh, true cause of this all-pervasive suffering these tendencies to experience happiness unhappiness and so on they're coming from remember compulsive behavior mixed with disturbing emotions and that comes from our unawareness of reality deepest level how we exist and in terms of destructive behavior also unawareness of relative reality relative truth cause and effect and so the actual uh, basic cause is this unawareness of uh, how we exist because that's with both constructive and destructive behavior so that's the real troublemaker that causes these tendencies to be there tendencies to feel happy unhappy and to repeat our behavior and if we look at what activates these tendencies also I mean this thirst this craving you know I've got to get rid of this uh, unhappiness I've got to not be rid of uh, this happiness I have to have more and the big you know what's coming with that is again this unawareness of how I exist that I'm the one I me 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 it's so important that I not be parted from happiness it's so important that I not be unhappy as opposed to okay happy unhappy so what you know that's just uh, 
what should I say? Not make a big deal out of it. So that true cause for why we keep on perpetuating our uncontrollably recurring rebirth, the foundation for up and down suffering, is our unawareness of two truths, the reality. So, third truth is uh, true stopping. True stopping of cause of suffering and therefore true stopping of suffering. So, why is it possible to remove forever this unawareness about reality? Why? Because when you perceive or project what is unreal, what, I mean, what doesn't correspond to uh, reality, there's no foundation for it. It's not, uh, it doesn't correspond to reality, so there's nothing that is upholding it. The term that's used in Tibetan is referring to when you have, for instance, uh, in a drama, you have uh, scenery. So you have some sort of a picture of landscape or something like that, and then you have a stick behind it or something that holds it up. And so uh, the Tibetan term for this means that there's nothing holding up these projections of of what's impossible. Nothing behind it holding it up. So there's no actual reality corresponding to it that's holding it up and supporting it. So, when there's nothing holding up this piece of uh, scenery, what happens? The scenery falls. It's not held up anymore. So, if you can keep focused on the fact that there's nothing holding up, there's nothing behind, nothing corresponding to, you know, in reality, to what is appearing, the big solid me, you know, sitting in my head, you can stay with that forever, then there's no, no way that this scenery can go back up. This drama of uh, the little me in the head worrying, what should I do, and I have to do this, and I have to be perfect, and I have to get my way, and so on. So, then we stop playing this drama of the little me sitting in our head. I'm talking all the time and worrying. So, in other words, when we are, uh, when we've gotten uh, rid of, not gotten rid of, but when we see that there never was something that's holding up our projections, that's supporting it in reality. So when we see reality, then the way the mind is, is that it's not projecting anything anymore in terms of what's impossible. And on the basis of that, then we're not going to be activating these tendencies anymore because there's nothing to activate it. You're not me, 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 I've got to be happy, I've got to stop being unhappy. And if there's nothing to activate the tendency, then you can't say that you still have a tendency. Something can only be a tendency for a result if there could be a result. The whole concept of a tendency is dependent on there being a result. If there's no result, it can't be a tendency for anything. So that's how you can reverse, in other words, get out of uncontrollably recurring rebirth. So even though our mental continuum can be absolutely filled with tendencies, you know, karmic tendencies from beginningless time, 
which is a strange word, beginningless time. But anyway, beginningless. It doesn't matter. If there's nothing to activate these tendencies, there aren't any more tendencies. And because we stay with that uh, awareness, that understanding, we don't build up any more tendencies. We don't build up any more compulsive behavior and so on. It would bring about any more tendencies. So, uncontrollably recurring rebirth, and the basis for this up and down happiness, unhappiness, gone, finished. The true stopping. So, because there is an absence of impossible ways of existing, there's an absence of, and, and there's an understanding of that, there's an absence of all the disturbing emotions and all the unawareness that would be confused about that. That's a very subtle point. I just said it very glibly, very uh, quickly, but that's a very, very subtle, difficult uh, point. Because the total absence of what's impossible, and that's reality, then there can't be the confusion about it is uh, when you are focused on that uh, absence of what's impossible, you can't have confusion about it. Anyway, don't want to go further on that point. The fourth noble truth, then, is usually translated as true path, but what that is referring to is not something that you walk on, but uh, it's referring to states of mind, understanding that like a path will lead you to a goal and will result from the uh, when you do reach the goal so that's the understanding of the two truths correct understanding of the two truths that will act as the pathway that will uh, bring about the more and more you become accustomed to it so that you can have it all the time it will uh, bring about the true stopping of uncontrollably recurring rebirth so true sufferings. So, this is the way that we derive the four truths from the two truths. How we enter samsara, according to the verse here, the words of the verse, how do we keep on entering uncontrollably recurring rebirth and all sorts of suffering? That is because that's discussed with the first two truths. So, true suffering and its true causes. So, basically, we are entering into samsara because of our confusion about the two truths our unawareness that we don't know them no reality or we imagine it to be something quite different from reality and how do we get out of this the third and fourth uh, noble truth true stopping and what brings about that true stopping is what brings about the attainment I should say of the true stopping is the true pathway minds I call it state of mind that will bring us there in other words from understanding the two truths so from not knowing the two truths of reality we get the first two of the four noble truths and from knowing it we get the second of two of the four noble truths the third and fourth ones okay so although this is a very complex topic I don't pretend that it is an easy topic but this is the way that we work with the Buddhist teachings to try to gain some conviction that it is actually possible to achieve the goals 
that Buddhism describes, that we're aiming for with our Buddhist practice. So this indicates the approach of how we would need to, based on having uh, heard this type of uh, explanation, and maybe listening to it again, because it's recorded, it'll be on my website, be available, then uh, you think about it more and more and more, and then you become, uh, once you really understand it, which means accurate and decisive, then uh, and you, you and you put it together with uh, all you know other things that it implies. Then through meditation you can familiarize yourself with it, make it a habit of seeing this. So, on the basis of that process of listening, thinking, meditating, then we can gain conviction that the goal that we are aiming for with our practice is actually possible. That uh, it is fact that it can be attained and that I can attain it if I put in enough work. And then our practice can become much more stable. That uh, it's not just based on, well, I believe it's, it's possible, I don't really know. I'm not well, pretty sure, but just presuming that it's true. But instead of that, we'll become certain. So this we'll discuss this afternoon. So let's uh, end our morning session uh, with that, and then uh, we'll continue.